0: This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land.
1: We acknowledge the First Nations and Elders of this country, and we join their calls for justice.
0: Um, hey Tom. Yes. I've been really struggling with the cost of living. Do you have any like hacks for me? Mm, how do you
1: feel about eggs?
0: Eggs. Yeah, I like eggs. They're so affordable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so affordable, and you know they're just so easy to cook up. Mm,
0: as long as you've got two things: yes, alfoil and a microwave. <laughs> So my secret is that I wrap it in
1: foil. Yes, that's right. It is foil. Are you supposed to not put alfoil in the microwave?
0: Senator Helen Polly says that she does it all the time, whether it's in Canberra or whether it's in my EO or even at home. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I've I've always thought alfoil does not go in the microwave because isn't it kind of like metallic?
0: Yeah, I thought this too, and I know that is a thing. You're not meant to do it. My mum sometimes argues that you can, but. I think that's because she does it in her microwave that's also like an oven. I'm pretty sure you are not meant to put alfoil in the microwave. So how does it pretty work? Sure. I wondered if maybe it's something to do with, I'm not a scientist, but in this TikTok video where Senator Helen Polly has demonstrated this technique, this life hack, Yes. Um, she puts it in water as well. So she wraps the egg in alfoil and submerges it in water, puts it in the microwave, six, seven minutes, hard boil it. And, like, I mean, she's still there at the end of the video. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it hasn't exploded in her so, face. I don't know. So she's the Tik. She does a lot of TikToks. Apparently, yeah. TikToking. She's a liberal senator from Tassie, mm. and she's just constantly sharing her sweet tips and tricks on how star. to survive the cost of crisis. Okay. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't it just be easy to to boil them in a saucepan? Like, doesn't it take exactly the same
0: time? No. I mean, I think there is something to particularly if you're in one of those kit. Like, if you're in most work kitchens, you don't have like a stove and a saucepan and everything. Right. Okay. Um, I yep, guess Tom, you've never had a job, so you can't really relate. To this.
1: Well, no, that's not true. When I worked at the ABC, we used <laughs> okay. to work at the dog shit kitchen in there that was an absolute uh, war zone. But you're right, there were no stovetops there. Yeah. So.
0: so using the microwave is important. And I, I've cooked eggs in the microwave. And actually, I didn't know how to make an egg. I used to – I only ever learnt to make eggs in an egg cooker. We had this little egg cooker thing when I was little. That's how, I thought how everyone mm-hmm. made eggs. Mm-hmm. You can make them in the, microwave, in the microwave. You have to be a bit careful because they cook very quickly. But our foil in the microwave is a whole other question. But I'm just really glad that it's helping. I mean, Helen says the reason she really likes it is um, the cost of living aspect of it. The cost of living. For a lot of people, um, their grocery prices are going up, as we know, so eggs are still affordable. As eggs are still oh, affordable. sure. And I'm sure that's a big issue for her, whether she's in Parliament where she's paid hundreds of thousands of dollars or in her electorate office where she's paid hundreds of thousands of dollars.
1: Oh, she's fucking Labor.
0: Is she Labor? She's from the
1: Labor Party. Of course she is. <laughs>
0: Right, that's, yeah, okay, great. <laughs> You're in government, lady. Mm, this cost of living crisis is really bad. We could raise the minimum wage and start and stop wasting $368 billion on, um you know, subs and tax cuts or whatever it is. Or our foil in the microwave. <laughs> maybe, you know what, maybe she's just like, maybe this is a trick and she's like, hey, pause. What you should do, you can't afford food, you should... Put metal in the microwave because <laughs> she just hates them so much and she wants them to blow up their house. She's like, let me know how it goes in the comments.
1: <laughs> okay, this is all allegedly. We have no evidence for this, but that, that's definitely what she's fighting on. <laughs> so
0: that's my hack for the day. I hope your Thursday is going well. Have a good one. of
1: idiots a deadly sliply, slippery slope
0: totalitarian anti-democratic give this party real power and we could really pay
1: frankly i've always found the greens to be a real serious danger to australia it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a serious danger to australia we're back thanks helen polly we're back, we're
0: back baby tom boward is back that's you i'm emerald moon this is serious danger a podcast about green politics in australia we're back from a beautiful week off thanks for letting us do that um while we had a little easter holiday speaking of easter this is not an official greens party podcast it's made possible with the help of the green institute and produced by michael griffin what are we doing this week tom
1: this week, we are checking in on how the Voice to Parliament referendum is going. There's been a few developments on that front, what we think about it, and we're going to be discussing the state of child labour laws and why the Greens are fighting to abolish them across the abolish
0: country. Abolish child labour laws? Yes. Okay.
1: <laughs> and children as well. And children.
0: All yeah, yeah. Okay. I have heard that one.
1: Shout out to our new patrons. Thank you so much for joining us and joining the Serious Dager family. For just 3 bucks a month, you can get some bonus content if you want even more Tom and Emerald and cool guests in your life. Thanks to Back to Front Design, (laughs) Andrew, Harry, Josh, LOL.
0: It stands for lots of love.
1: Alberto, Sam, Charles, Emma, Rebecca, and new Victoria Greens MP. A
0: celebrity.
1: Ave Puglielli.
0: Got a celebrity among the patrons. An elected representative
1: refunding tax money for the good people of Victoria directly into the <laughs> mm.
0: the coffers
1: of serious danger. Thank you, Abe. Thank you for uh, he's, now. That's a TikToking. Yeah, he's a TikTok guy. star. He knows what's up.
0: Yeah, that's true. Speaking of stars and elected representatives, I'm doing lots of segues this this show. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, <laughs> we're going to have one at the live show in Brisbane Brilliant. on the 21st Genius. of May. At Good Chat Comedy Club, we've got Max Chandler Mayer joining us and we've got Geraldine Hickey and we're going to be chatting. It's I don't know if it sounds familiar. It's the anniversary of the federal election. We're going to be chatting about what went right and left. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think the end of my sentence before I started it. But please buy tickets. I want to see lots of people there. I think it's going to be really fun.
1: It's gonna be awesome. Is that in a floodplain? Is Good Chat Comedy Club in a floodplain? Oh good question. I don't know.
0: That's yeah. I I hear Max Chandler May that is preventing the construction of public housing (laughs) at that venue, specifically so that he can do this show. (laughs) Typical, typical Max Nimby hates housing.
1: Typical NIMBY piece of shit. Yeah. Um, it's going to be so good. Geraldine is a beloved uh, comedian, award-winning comedian and has been supported the Greens before. She did my comedy fundraiser last year in Victoria. She's a legend. It'd be great to have a big old chuckle with her. And, yeah, with Max to reflect on the year that's been since the Greenslide in 2022.
0: Since Queensland turned to Greensland. <laughs> yes, yeah.
1: good times. And we'd love to see you there. We we want to do more live stuff. And, yeah, tickets are just 20 bucks. I know that, you know, it can be tricky for some people. We need to cover costs and hopefully raise a little bit of cash for the show too. So um, the link is in the show notes. uh, That's Sunday, May the 21st at Good Chat Comedy Club at 2 p.m.
0: Mm, It's an Arvo show, so you can still party afterwards. I hear rumours that there may be, like, some sort of anniversary election party around that time, that weekend. I don't know if it's specifically that night, but I think that weekend's going to be a fun weekend. You're also doing your shows in Brisbane. So Even if you know in Brisbane, you should just come visit. Everyone across the country, serious Angel <laughs> listeners, unite. Come to Brisbane.
1: <laughs> Let's organize a convoy and everyone yeah. could drive to, a to That's Brisbane. That's
0: a great idea. Okay, Emerald.
1: Since last we spoke, we released that episode last week, but it's been a little while since we were talking about new current events. There have been a few developments when it comes to the voice to parliament referendum that is happening this year. Have you been following
0: much of this? I would say I have not been following it closely, but due to my job, life, and personality, I've (laughs) picked up. I've been unable to avoid some parts.
1: I think like there's not a lot of other news going on. I'm not saying this yeah, is not important it seems or whatever. Really
0: quiet at the moment.
1: But yes, and 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 in terms of the political drama evolved around it, it's certainly mm. very appealing to the press gallery. I would say so. It's mm. getting a good run all around the place. But in terms of, I reckon, yeah, average people engaging with actually the, the voice debate and questions is probably still still early days. I'd say.
0: Yeah, I think so too.
1: So the bill to actually change the constitution hasn't passed the parliament yet. It's still on break. It's before a committee. There's still some fights over the wording of the um of the uh, constitution alteration, which is very funny, of course. Well, yes, because as the Liberals have just announced that they're going to oppose the voice, but they're still wanting to have some influence on the actual wording of the constitution. It's it's a fucking ridiculous situation. Brilliant
0: negotiators.
1: But, yes, the big news was that last week Peter Dutton confirmed the Liberal Party will oppose the voice. They will be campaigning actively for a no vote when the referendum happens in the last three months of this year. Mr. Dutton, the old Mr. Boycott the apology, Dutton. It weirdly, is sort of just not into this this new thing. So
0: strange. You mean the former Queensland cop, yeah. Peter Dutton? Yes, weird, isn't it? Waterforce force guy. Hmm.
1: He said the voice would be a new arm of the government, requiring thousands of new public servants and costing billions of dollars to run, without improving outcomes for Indigenous Australians. Now they're not they're not all about no, okay. It was a, it was a day of yes, as Susan Lay put it. They're oh. saying yes to local and regional voices but not a national body to consult on First Nations issues. They don't want a Canberra voice. They want the voices to be legislated and limited, focused specifically on issues affecting local communities or some bullshit, whatever the fuck they were talking about.
0: So isn't, okay, I don't quite understand how that works. I thought the idea of the local and regional ones is that they feed into federal government decisions, but they're just like no top layer directly from. Yes. I mean, (laughs) I, I don't know, like, yeah. They, that's the thing. Like when they say, "Yeah, it'll probably cost a bunch of money without actually improving outcomes for Indigenous Australians." Not that that's really what I would say, but for First Nations people, like I kind of think that's very possible. We've spoken about this before, but anyway.
1: Uh, I mean, well, we'll get to that. Yes, we'll. Get, well I think we'll come to at the end of this conversation. I would strongly advise against taking any of this shit in good faith. Oh no, um- I'm not. <laughs>
0: Not taking yes. a good pay. I'm just <laughs> saying that yeah, like that, completely divorced from all of the context and reality of the Liberal Party saying it. That's yes, merit.
1: sure. Um, the, the, initially, in the in that um, press conference, it seemed like Dutton was saying that they were for constitutional recognition, like just literally symbolic bullshit, some flowery right. mention at the start, or like acknowledgement that yes, there were some people here. <laughs> I was actually I'm doing research for the show about the referendum, and do you, do you remember in '99 there was a preamble that was another question as do well I that Howard Wood would set?
0: No, do you? I was four. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, oh God, I'm old. <laughs> um, I was ten, but no, I don't remember it myself. But do you remember hearing about the fact that there was this preamble that was going to be that was put up as a referendum question Bakely. as well alongside the republic? Yeah, remember this? Bakely. Anyway, Howard writes it up like the preamble, and it's flowery bullshit, and initially the draft said we acknowledge Aboriginal people and their custodianship of these lands Mm -hmm. and then Howard changed that to kinship with their country to avoid any doubt that there was any like legal ramification or any suggestion of like any kind of ownership Mm -hmm. of of the country which is just beautiful stuff. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it seems like apparently now they're not on board with any constitutional change at all or they're just saying, yeah, fuck that, that's off Okay. (laughs) Were you surprised by any of this? Should we be surprised that uh, this was the decision they finally made?
0: I sort am actually. I mean, the Liberals are very evil, but like I'm just surprised strategically. You heard it here first. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, and I'm surprised strategically that anyone is really trying to milk much out of this. I just think that it's really, it's taking, I mean, they're putting in the effort, but it will take a lot of effort to make this something that is going to really be a political issue that reaches ordinary people in this country. Like I just think the only ones really buying into the culture war around no is like I just see articles in The Australian and it's such a limited group that really mm. follows and and buys into that shit, I think. And it just, it it does, I actually agree with a lot of the kind of mainstream political commentary around this, which is like it's another sign of the Libs really driving themselves into um, irrelevance. Like they just cling to yeah. these like tiny minority culture war ideas, I think, because maybe they see it work more effectively in the states and they're like, we want to try and replicate that. But it doesn't, I don't think it actually works for them here. And I guess I hope it doesn't and they disappear. Particularly
1: with the base of the Liberal Party. Like really, do they seriously care that much about whether this body exists or not? Or are they really focused on how are you going to cut my taxes? Yes, that's like you ask
0: anyone why they vote for the Liberal Party and the vast, vast, vast majority is like misguidedly for, you know, Mm. economic reasons.
1: Mm. Well, Amanda Stoker has a take on that, which we'll get to in a sec. Mm-hmm. What do you think this means for the chances of the referendum getting up? Mm. As people may know, we've had eight only eight successful referenda out of 44. All of those eight had bipartisan support. Sometimes they have bipartisan support and it still doesn't happen, but um, certainly the history tells us that bipartisan support is important. Now, that's ignoring the fact that the investment in the major party Primary votes have just been in secular decline for a very long time, and I'm—I guess I'm just interested True. in how much a major party coming out against something is actually mm. going to affect anything. It's—it's not—it's not unreasonable or impossible to imagine, you know, political elites telling you what to do on either side of the political spectrum, and ordinary people ignoring it, saying "fuck you," I'm not going to—I'm going to listen to this because my my party of choice says no.
0: Yeah, I guess that people like the average voter might look to whether there is bipartisanship between the major parties and as an indication of whether it's acceptable to, like, diverge from the normal, to to debate an issue, really, like, or whether it is something that's meant to just be common consensus apart from a few outliers in Mm. the minor parties. Like, I do think, yeah, that's an indication of whether something is a contestable issue. Mm. And so it's more in doing that that it creates it, it makes it a contestable issue for people to then, yeah, consider uh in in real life outside of parliament so
1: yeah that's a very good point because it makes it partisan right so if you if you mm-hmm. vote liberal all the time and you see okay the labor guy is saying yes and the guy the guy who leads the party mm-hmm. i usually vote for is saying no um i guess this is just another partisan issue that i i would probably you know follow a similar track to so i'll, I'll listen to the party yeah. that i generally
0: well, agree with that you would then i mean ironically then like maybe like look at more closely debate more with people around you and i do think that it is easy as we have done ourselves, like, on this podcast. So if you look at, if you look closely enough at this proposal to find yourself on the no or the yes side, like, whereas it's kind of like, I think if you had a surface level proposal and people were just vaguely kind of like, oh, should we give First Nations people a say? Yeah, like, most, most people would be like, yeah. But when there's all this like detailed kind of, yeah, a political contest about it, then they get into the details and then they, that's where concerns arise and people are like, oh, maybe I can't support this or shouldn't support this. Yeah, see, see I, I, I don't know.
1: Again, the campaigns haven't still really kicked off. We've still got a fair way to go until the actual day. I just, you know, how much salience is this like executive government, the details, the, the constitutional and legislative details? going to affect things obviously the no campaign are trying to bring those to the fore and trying Mm. to sow doubt and confusion based on those detailed questions um and the yes campaigns job is to make it big picture principle you know do you think things are first nations people do you think we should change our constitution to do something about that you know please vote yes vote for yes for something better um that's that's certainly the way the campaigns are going to lay it out and i just yeah i don't know how much constitutional intricacies cut through with people, I guess. Well, well it's we'll not
0: necessarily about the actual detail itself. I think that you're right. It's about sowing doubt. And I think that the no campaign should and <clears throat> and probably will try to exploit anti-political sentiment mm. and the sentiment which is, you know, pretty widespread across the Australian population um, of a mistrust in institutions and a mistrust in the political system to deliver real solutions yep. and also not to do something that, in the detail, fucks you over directly. Mm. So I think like that mistrust just generally, if people are like, oh, there's going to be all these details and that's where they're going to, you know, put something in there that's going to make it shit, they will lean, like a lot of people would lean towards, yeah, I don't trust it.
1: But isn't this a little bit different because it's, don't you think it's a bit harder to make the case that this is going to affect you? Like, I mean, look, let's be real. This vote is going to be decided by by white people, by overwhelmingly white mm. people, by non indigenous, uh, non First Nations people. Okay, so I don't know. I, I'm much more inclined to think that most people will be like, I don't know. If this is what they want, then then I don't. It doesn't affect. It's not going to affect me. What, whatever, I don't mind. As opposed well, to something that is actually going to deliberately, you know, directly affect um, people's lives in a supposedly negative way.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's the racist. There's the the angle that the oh, like the sorry I about is that. To, Yeah, <laughs> that the Australians trying to push where they genuinely are like you know trying to make people afraid that first nations people are coming for your house or yes. whatever but i think more compelling is the scarcity argument like is right. that's why i think it's interesting that the liberals are talking about how much money this is going to cost because mm. that is um a myth that is very like largely relied on in australian yeah. politics that there's not enough money to go around and so talking about this potentially costing money like and that and taking away from stuff that that benefits you uh, that's, I so think. creating
1: public servants. Ugh. And
0: public <laughs> servants. Ugh, yeah. Like, funny how, yeah, you could refit. Re- when they're like, it's going to require thousands of new public servants. It's like, oh, you think it's going to create thousands of new jobs? That's awesome.
1: <laughs> no, but the wrong kind. The one yeah. for public servants. They're not real jobs. Not
0: good, secure jobs. Like, the yeah. best jobs you could possibly have, but okay. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, the response to this position was pretty fierce from some quarters. Noel Pearson called Dutton's announcement a Judas betrayal.
0: <laughs> is that just uh, because it was Easter? <laughs> I guess he's just tired. Yeah, I've been I learning about so. Easter. That's when Judas betrayed Jesus.
1: Very good, very mm. good. Uh, Ken White quit the Liberal Party over the position. That's the former Minister mm. for Indigenous Australians, the first First Nations Indigenous Minister for Australians, which is. Kind of bizarre, but that he was that guy who he was heavily involved in putting together the voice proposal and working on the referendum proposal under yeah. Turnbull mainly. The Shadow Attorney General and Shadow Minister for Indigenous Australians, Julian Lisa, again, someone who's been a long-time advocate for constitutional recognition of some kind. He's a constitutional conservative, but he was certainly, you know, the the one, the Liberal member that was closest to the process and was you know, associated with trying to get something done in terms of constitutional recognition for First Nations people. He resigned from the front bench after the announcement and so he's planning to campaign for yes. He disagrees with his position. He's going to the back bench so he can actively campaign for yes. He still wants some tweaks to the wording of the alteration, I think. He's still sort of talking Mm -hmm. about that. But he's going to get out there and campaign for yes. Okay. Are these people heroes, Everald? Should we praise (laughs) these Liberal defectors for taking such a brave stand against their their leader's position?
0: I don't think I ever... I think we've had similar questions in the past and I don't think that people who defect from their parties are necessarily, yeah, like should be called heroes by virtue of their defection, even if it's for a good reason because it's like, well, you knew this and like, yes, maybe you you deserve praise for taking a principled position in general, but like leaving the party is just, that's just a consequence of your bad prior decisions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) To join and be a liberal.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is
1: my thing. I just like so, yeah, our entire media, our entire political discourse is premised on this idea that there are two, two major parties and they're both acting in good faith <laughs> and that, you know, some people, we all want to help Indigenous First Nations people and some people want to do it in a centre-left way and some people want to do it in a centre-right way. And after a while you just go, yeah, does anyone say, hey, actually maybe this political institution of the Liberal Party is actively hostile to First Nations justice? Look at mm. their entire fucking record the the intervention yeah. the guy leading the party now boycotted the apology to stolen generations john howard was a fucking cunt when it came to native title <laughs> legislation tried to whip up all this all this yeah. fear just constantly completely hostile and aggressively against any kind yeah. of recognition of first nations justice in this country but no one says that they just say oh there are some good people and people of different yeah. good faith disagree and like, within oh, the party
0: politically yeah would they be taking this position that's true yeah probably worth restating that they are institutionally, like an institutionally racist party, and like politically, ideologically. Yes. Yes. yes.
1: And it's, <laughs> and and know, it's just like why
0: don't, First Nations if soldiers. you're just
1: constantly coming up against these, I guess, look, I guess Ken Wyatt, did hit a wall eventually and sort of said, Look, mm. I got to get, get the fuck out of here. I mean, how long was he
0: in the Liberal Party? Maybe
1: maybe take that position when you were in government and Malcolm Turnbull immediately rejected the voice proposal out of hand. The Ulrich mm. statement from Hart is handed down, and Malcolm Turnbull immediately says, Nope, third chamber, not going to do it, fuck off. Yeah. Like maybe that's a red flag
0: yes. for you about yeah. how
1: serious this party is when it comes to First Nations justice or listening to what First Nations people are saying and doing, mate. Maybe. Anyway, Amanda Stokes is very happy about the whole situation.
0: Oh, good. What's she doing?
1: She's written for the Australian Financial Review. A yep. notorious right. election winner, Adam Sto- Amanda Stoker, with <laughs> her regular <laughs> column. Yeah. Had the Liberal Party decided to endorse the Albanese government's plan for constitutional entrenchment of a so-called Indigenous voice to parliament? Quote,
0: unquote, voice.
1: It would have condemned the party to the wilderness for the long term for being unable to stand firmly for anything. But by the decision to defend the liberal value of the equality of all Australians before the law, it's Mm. shown it is capable of being decisive, willing to make a hard argument, and prepared to act on the basis of the fundamental principles on which the party was founded. Importantly, it shows the party is prepared to offer an alternative way forward that avoids repeating the errors that have largely caused much of the hardship experienced by the approximately 20% of Aboriginal people who are targeted by efforts to close the gap in life outcomes between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. I don't know where she gets that step. but okay, talking about? Just track yourself in for this shit, but here we go. Much of the hardship endured by this cohort of Aboriginal Australians is experienced by those in rural and remote places and is the product of well-meaning political interventions that were based on the notion of Aboriginal exceptionalism.
0: Ooh, I don't. It, no? No, Yep. Yeah, keep going. Okay.
1: It was always an error to treat Aboriginal people as though they don't have the same fundamental needs, aspirations and flaws as every other Australian.
0: Is she? So she's anti-intervention. But anti-intervention because somehow, yeah, white people saying that you need to come in and intervene to overrule the failings of Aboriginal people. That's also Aboriginal exceptionalism. Yes. This fucking, yeah, the, the cognitive distance. Like when conservatives try to do columns, it's always so funny because they've got all these contrary ideas that they're like trying to reconcile and they're like, I'll just put it all in, put it all in. <laughs>
1: So uh, presumably it was it wasn't an error to invade this country and colonise it and um, dispossess Aboriginal people of their lands and you know roll out colonisation and keep them subjugated, deny them voting rights and no. property, etc. No, no, no. The real error where we really went wrong is treating Aboriginal people as if they're as if they need help or are deserving of anything. Or
0: the real error is what she's saying. The real error was acknowledging that we had failed to treat Aboriginal yes. people. Yes. As though they had the same fundamental needs and aspirations and forces as else. Yes, we should person. treat them
1: just like everybody else. I mean, you know, we again, again we've yeah. fucked over the First Nations, but we, we should just ignore all that history and just sort of treat them as if they're anybody else uh, in terms of policy or the way that they live as political citizens within our society. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, just the, I mean, yeah, okay. Even though she's like, well, but there are Aboriginal people who... The, we need to close the gap. But also, no, we don't. I don't know. Yes. I don't know what she's fucking saying anyway. And
1: we're failing those people by having policies that are trying to, to help them in, intervene in any way whatsoever. Like, what the fuck are you doing? What do you want? What do you actually want? <laughs> And yet that exceptionalist approach is exactly what Albanese's voice model would entrench, a near-permanent, inflexible and judicially, ju- judicially enforceable mechanism for keeping Aboriginal people separated from wider Australian society and to lock in policies that have done and continue to do great harm to the most vulnerable people in Aboriginal communities would be a disaster. Again, what, do you and- mean the intervention that your fucking party did yeah. when they are in government? Yeah. That, that, that stormed it, that brought the army in and demonised Aboriginal communities and disempowered them and made it's them fucking just, prisoners of their own fucking country? What like, are you talking about?
0: I literally, even my fucking old-ass uh, society and culture textbooks when I was in high school where we learned about, like, the stages of Indigenous policy in right. Australia and it's like, and then we tried assimilation yes. and we agreed that assimilation doesn't work <laughs> and no is bad. Yes. Uh, and so we've moved on from that. It's still, this is just assimilation politics. Like she's just like, well, Aboriginal people should just be the same as.
1: Be the same as everyone else. As right? I, don't race. Race. Yeah. I don't see race. It's basically, I don't see race and the idea that we set up um, a body based on race, this race-based institution, which people constantly talking about, and then they're also trying to bring in this idea that, oh, my God, everyone's got to identify as Aboriginal people just for the sweet, sweet chance to vote for the voice or whatever. And
0: she's obviously, I mean, she's obfuscating it in this, like, really bad writing, and I still don't quite understand what she's talking about when she talks about that 20% of Aboriginal people who are targeted by efforts to close the gap or something. But there's also, yeah, that idea of, like, quote, unquote, I I think this is just masking the idea that there's still, quote, unquote, real aboriginal people you know right. there's yeah like in in rural aboriginal communities like there's that and then there's the rest of um of first nations people who should just be treated exactly the same as and assimilated into like white australia pretty much yeah. it's like deeply racist yeah and old-fashioned and yeah
1: yeah aboriginal people in urban environments have no problems with like the police or anything exactly they're always, they're always yeah just yeah completely left yeah. alone it's no, no should be treated
0: exactly the same yeah,
1: But I think, uh, you know, what's interesting here is like just rejecting this whole model, painting it as Albanese, like a Labor government policy. This is our, Albanese's um, policy, et cetera, et cetera. Again, he's just completely ignoring the Uluru statement from the heart. Now, I don't know if Manasoka mm-hmm. supports the Uluru statement from the heart issue, not or whatever, but like completely ignoring that process. And I know it was a flawed process we've talked about on the show before. It wasn't perfect. Sure, sure. But, you know, generally speaking, it is the closest we've had in recent times to a consensus view of First Nations leaders in this country. And, you know, even supportive liberals who are saying, yeah, I'm for the voice, very silent on things like truth-telling and treaty Mm. and the fact that Labor government is committed to all stages of the Uluru Statement for the Heart, that's also the Greens' position, that really does seem to be left out of the conversation. And, I mean, obviously Amanda Stoker is now interested in pursuing this path to get us towards any words towards treaty down the line, but I think that's an important thing to know.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, obviously there are elements of, like, the detail around how the statement, the Uluru Statement is implemented, which, as I've said before, like, I think are contestable and are, you know, something that the government has to figure out. But it, it's true that, yeah, like, the concept of a voice to parliament, that is from the Uluru Statement yes. to the heart. Yeah, from yes. the heart.
1: And to to reject this voice this year and then say, that's not what Aboriginal people want or, mm. you know, we need to go, go back to the drawing board, like, you are really, to me, spitting in the face of that entire... In, of that entire process and and you need to lay out exactly what fucking consultation, consultative process you want instead to arrive at a different conclusion to support your own messed up ideology. Yeah,
0: I, I still am like, I want to be clear, like, yes, I, I think that what you said is absolutely true for the Liberal Party and what they're doing. We should acknowledge there are still a lot of First Nations people and progressives like and radical First Nations people in particular who are pushing against this, sure. against the voice, like for very legitimate reasons and, yeah.
1: Sure thing. The Liberal Party have instead offered a more flexible, practical, and grassroots way. Everyone loves grassroots now. Everyone's crazy about grassroots. What
0: does that mean? I don't know. It's not okay.
1: We found the conservative Aboriginal people who back our position, and they say we're good, so they're they're for the grassroots of getting the input of Aboriginal people without allowing permanent and constitutional division. It keeps the door open for and inspires to the moment when the gap is actually closed. Instead of pitching for national grandstanding by an Aboriginal elite it caters to the different local cultures and concerns without throwing sand in the gears of government and commerce oh my god i don't yep so we're seeing this a lot too the term aboriginal elite and a canberra voice what do we make of this this is this is you know for for context again looking through the history of this stuff classic no campaign stuff it's all canberra politicians just want more power you know elites are trying to fuck you over here that's a, a regular refrain now obviously we're not pro elite here at Serious Danger. Obviously, <laughs> there, there is an elite in a really class society, but at least it's it's often rolled out. It seems to be to be a very um, cynical strategy. And the irony is, under our referendum system, any referendum has to go through Parliament first. So any proposal being put to a referendum is going to have been approved by the political class through both houses of Parliament. There's literally no other way to get a Parliament uh, to get a referendum put to the people. So you can dismiss almost any referendum by saying, oh, look, it's the politicians, it's Canberra who wants to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, that sort of points to, again, how how kind of dodgy that strategy is.
0: Yeah, I actually hadn't heard the term Aboriginal elite. That's pretty fast that they're using that. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it just seems like reverse racism stuff, but that's the stuff that I'm like, I really do think it's only a, a minority of the population that's actually going to buy into that that kind of angle. Like that's right. really... Yep. Bottom of the barrel shit.
1: All the big Amanda Stoker fans. <laughs>
0: um,
1: Peter Dutton is currently visiting Alice Springs at the moment. This was pretty fucking wild. So he's obviously on the ground there. There are issues with crime in the local community. He's trying, obviously trying to get some political capital saying, hey, Albanese is talking about his Canberra voice. I'm on the ground talking to real, real people about the real mm-hmm. issues facing First Nations people there, I guess. And he's just repeated claims that Indigenous children were being sexually assaulted on a regular basis and described law and order Mm. problems in the town as a travesty. Mm -hmm. A huge backlash to that, obviously. Police Minister of the Northern Territory Kate Warden told reporters that Dutton made similar claims just months ago during a fly in and out visit to Alice Springs and characterised his behaviour as absolutely opportunistic. It's quite frankly a dog act.
0: Dog act. (laughs) Very Australian.
1: Yes, which is good to see. But, again, pretty gross, right?
0: Yeah, I saw something about him, you know, holding a presser um, in Alice where he's talking about this and, and a journalist asked him what the evidence is for those claims that, that mm. he's made about, you know, an escalation of crime or of child sexual assault. And he asked the journalist, like, something about, if she, like, do you live locally? And the journalist is like, yes, I live locally.
1: Yes, he started with, that's such an ABC question.
0: Oh, I missed that part.
1: And said, do you live locally? Yes. Mm-hmm. And he said, yes, I live locally. Like, do you talk to people on the street? So basically everyone on the street in Alice Springs is just talking about how Aboriginal children are being sexually assaulted on a very regular basis. Right. And people are saying, look, if you have information about this, you've got to report, like, yeah. there's actually law saying you need to mandatorily report yeah. this stuff. anyway. And, there, you know, and maybe we'll, we'll do an episode of the intervention or something one day, but people should definitely yeah. know that the origins of the intervention has a very, very fucked up dark history of the smearing of Aboriginal communities and mm. the what was absolutely an overstatement of the problem that there were pedophile rings in fucking every Aboriginal community in the Northern yeah. Territory and therefore justified suspending the Racial Discrimination Act and sending in the goddamn army. Yeah. Something that they did, by the way, thanks to the race power given to them in the night by the nineteen sixty-seven referendum.
0: There so you
1: go. so that big referendum, which we celebrate as this moment of racial progress in mm. Australia, gave the Commonwealth government the power that they would eventually use to Roll out the intervention. So
0: the referendum expert has logged on.
1: Guys, I've got so many wonderful. Go see his show now. (laughs) Finally, I just wanted to ask. I mean, yeah, I'm interested in your thoughts about. Okay, so yes, the campaign's gearing up. I guess we know where the coalition are. They're going to be campaigning. No. Uh, What do we think? Are we campaigning for yes? Are you personally going to campaign for yes? We the Greens. You personally, I'm
0: like no. I like that. Actually, made me kind of reflect on my. Myself a little bit when you were like, are you going to campaign for this separately to the party? Because I was like, well, I think I'm so entrenched in, like, over the next year, year and the next 18 months, mm. uh, all I'm thinking is council and state elections in yeah, in right. Queensland. Like, yep. it's just not something that I would have on my radar or sink time into. So, no. Um, but in terms of the, the party, like, it looks, I mean, we put out, like, Adam, I think, put out that statement when Dutton said that they were going to oppose it, being, like, very, you know, very harsh against that decision. Uh-huh. And I think, like, I can understand why they put out that statement, but it it is interesting and I think it is awkward. I think the Greens are in a very awkward position after, like, prevaricating on the voice so much and acknowledging the flaws with the model that has been proposed um, and then, you know, that we would much prefer treaty first. And to then, yeah, to then be like, no, we need it back it all the way. And like, I don't know, what do you think the party should do?
1: I, I think we should definitely actively campaign and be part of a yes vote. The more I, again, not just about my show, but putting together the show, <laughs> thinking more about it, the idea of a no vote is particularly demoralizing. And I guess, mm. and I say in the show, I am not convinced. Well, I have absolute sympathy and understanding, as we've discussed on the show, for people's level of cynicism to approach this new reform. Totally get that. And and, and there is a wealth of historical evidence of governments ignoring advice and we want power, we want treaty, completely understandable. But I do not see how a no vote to this referendum proposal gets us closer to treaty and I think there is a very strong Mm. argument to say it actually sends us backwards. Yes. And I think that... I think that it would not be too bad for the Greens to be part of a broad social movement that that does feature the union movement, that will feature other labor members, the people of the broadly progressive, you know, civil society that makes up uh, the the Australian left, "quote unquote," such as it is, to to be a positive and active part of that campaign and to celebrate in the victory. If if it does turn out when eventually votes yes at the end of the year, I think that would be a mm. I think that would be a good thing. That would be it would be nice. And and sorry, I'm not just this this sounds cynical, like I'm just frabe it in political terms. But I'm just <laughs> saying in terms of like a a strategy as part of our broader push for more First Nations justice to be part of this story, um, and to not equivocate or, or not be muted on this, I think is is important. I do.
0: And I think well, I think equally there's uh certainly a risk for the Greens. Because uh, if you know, no vote does win, or we fail to reach that double majority that's required for the yes hmm. vote. Even if you know, yes has a simple majority, and there's like that, there, there could be an allegation against the Greens that it was because we didn't push hard enough, we didn't rally our supporters enough. Right. Like, sure, I understand that line of potential political attack and and even just ideologically you know could we then live with ourselves and be like oh fuck did we not do enough on this but I also am skeptical about yeah how much resources really should the party be sinking into campaigning for something when we have limited resources mm. something that is not a policy priority of ours like I think absolutely we should be you know kind of I guess reactively supporting the the campaign and if our supporters want to know where we stand like I think making it making it clear that they should vote yes. But, but yeah, like mounting our own campaign. I, I, I think I don't know if that's necessarily our, our place or something that we should be sinking so many resources into. So many, many resources.
1: Do you think you know where Lydia's going to land eventually?
0: I thought Lydia was a clear no, but I haven't really been following.
1: I heard her on the radio recently saying that she still hasn't made a decision, she's still asking for oh. meetings with the government, she's still, you know, making the very reasonable call that, hey, implement the uh, Aboriginal death custody recommendations mm. to show you serious about First Nations justice, please. Okay. And she, But but no, I've heard her being asked on the radio specifically, you know, have you made a decision or will yeah. you be campaigning? No, and she sort of said, yeah, I'm still reserving my decision.
0: Interesting. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Because a lot of the, yeah, like First Nations activists that I kind of follow in the more radical sphere seem to have hardened their opposition Mm -hmm. to the voice and kind of are starting, you know, to actively campaign no, which I find interesting. And I kind of assume that that would be, um, the case for yet yeah, a lot of of First Nations radical a- yeah activists. I guess
1: Guardian. the Guardian did like a big spread on like the yes and no campaigns mm. the various groups within each and they sort of talked about the progressive no case, the broader black sovereignty movement what that yeah. looks like but they sort of said it hasn't particularly been formalized or or what yeah, that even okay. looks like I don't yeah if you be interested yeah. because I mean are you if you're a progressive no are you actually in any way? campaigning with Jacinta Price and Warren Mundine? Are you actually getting involved no, with people who are voting no on literally that. anything else?
0: I Yeah, I just don't think I buy that whole thing where people are like, oh, well, you're campaigning with it. Like unless you actually are. Yes, <laughs> but well, if you're running okay, your yeah, own yeah. campaign, yeah. that's a different thing.
1: Right. Mm. Final question, and this is just on the 7am podcast uh, from Paul Bongiorno from the Saturday paper. Apparently the word in the no campaign is that they're expecting that yes, we'll get the popular vote. Okay, so that we'll get a majority of the national vote. But as we mm. said, you need a double majority, so you need four out of six states. Yeah. And I just wonder whether that changes things. Like if, if it doesn't go ahead because of that fucked goddamn double majority requirement, does that do anything to the failure of the referendum proposal? Does it make us just hate the referendum process as opposed to mm. thinking that Australia is seriously rejecting progress or the voice? What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, like would that then make people even more mistrustful of of this whole of this whole system and the process? by being like, well, didn't the majority of us all vote for this? What the fuck happened?
1: It's so, yeah. it's so ridiculous. In 1977, okay, this proposal to have simultaneous elections, very boring, but just a basic <laughs> idea saying, hey, you should have the House elections and half the Senate on the same day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 62% voted yes, but it only got mm-hmm. three states, so it went down. It's just like, what the Uh, fuck? Like like why do states' rights need to be protected in that conversation? Why would states' rights need to be protected when it comes to the voice? It's ridiculous. And I did the maths, okay? You could get a yes vote from literally every voter in Queensland, Victoria, New South Wales, from both the territories, and you could get 49% in Tassie, South Australia, and WA. And that would be 90% of the electorate voting yes, but if 51% in WA, South Australia, and Tassie vote no, then it doesn't happen. Like Mm -hmm. what a fucking dog shit system. That is completely yeah. anti-democratic. That makes no sense.
0: You know what we should bring to the next election? Our plan to reform constitutional reform processes. I think that is really going to get a lot of people on board. That should be our number one bounce of power <laughs> demand.
1: Well, it doesn't sell tickets, I'll tell you that much.
0: <laughs> pump up the jam, pump it up, Why your feet are stumping. And the jam is pumping, look ahead, the crowd is jumping. Pump it up. Did you catch this uh, this story last weekend from the ABC? This is a very feel good story under the headline, <laughs> Labour Shortage Facing Zhugeong. I don't know how to pronounce that, but this GM Factory solved by hiring country kids.
1: Oh, great. I love hearing about problems being solved. That's so nice.
0: Was your heart warmed? Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. And Tiny Tim will have a nice big roast this Christmas, which is fantastic to read as <laughs> Pictures well. Pictures of
0: like little kids with smiling faces and hair nets earning. Their daily bread. Finally, uh-huh. getting off
1: their fat asses, their lazy, <laughs> tiny little asses, and mm-hmm. contributing to society.
0: Yeah, it. Um, I didn't initially even see this story in the ABC. I saw the response. So right. the initial story is about the long track pantry uh, in this New South Wales country town, where and and so it reads. So it's interviewing the owners. Which first of all, I'm, I do want to know. Like, did the owners really approach this journalist and be like? We want to do a story. We've got this great PR story. Like was there a PR specialist that they hired and they are like, we're going to get you some media. You know what we could focus on? Your use of child labour. Yeah, that's it. That is a perfect angle.
1: Okay. I don't think. <laughs> do you think the PR consultant was 11 years old?
0: 11, 11- yeah, that's right. That's what they do. That's what I they- I
1: think we should do a story in the ABC and they can talk about how kids are here and it's good.
0: I think that I like that I work with my friends and maybe the journalists will like this. Anyway, so, okay, this is one of the owners. Teachers,
1: parents, all. I'm going to talk to you about my job on the weekend. Thanks to the absence of child labour laws in New South Wales, I have a job now.
0: Anyway. All right, I'm going to read you some of this article. The Oxford Dictionary defines
1: child labor. (laughs) Shut up. Sorry.
0: Okay, this is one of the owners of the long track pantry, Hugh Robb, in his article saying, we couldn't produce the amount of jams and relishes that we were selling at the cafe in the cafe kitchen anymore. It was just getting too hectic in there. So we decided to build a commercial kitchen, but then with... Jugyong, I really, someone's going to tell me how to pronounce this at some point. This town's population sitting at about 200, staffing the factory kitchen presented an immediate challenge. Tucked in the sprawling farming properties across the surrounding townships, such as Kulak, Kudamundra, Gundagai, and Binelong, lay a potential labor force. (laughs) Country kids, the secret... (laughs) was making the jam factory somewhere they'd want to quote unquote contribute to. Oh, now I love school kids make up the majority of the factory's one hundred strong workforce. Oof. So they have that means at least more than fifty children working here. Um apparently <laughs> as young as eleven. They're employing kids as young as eleven years old. And don't yes. worry, Tom, they're paid award wages, which we'll get okay. into what that means later on.
1: Okay, great. Um
0: initial thoughts? <laughs> Cute.
1: Well, we talked about this on the phone a little bit. Cute I'm Dead set against it, but I don't know. I mean, they, these kids seem fine. I guess we'll sort But there's a mm. there is a very dark, broader problem here that I'm that I'm worried about. Generally, I'm against uh, children working. Yes, I'm against anyone working. I'm anti worker across well, the board, that's and I right. think. The sweet ages from zero to 14 to nine months in which you do not have to worry about employment should be enjoyed. That's a
0: myth apparently. 14 and nine months. I don't know where that comes from, but when I was doing my research, there was even a thing maybe on the Victorian one that was like, contrary to popular belief, 14 and nine months is not. The oh, minimum age, even though everyone thinks that.
1: See, even this story, because I, I was reading a little bit of this for the book, and my understanding is the earliest is in the Northern Territory, you could get like a paper round at age eight or something. That's that's the thing that I came across. But that might all be. You, oh, you, you maybe. May well a lot of latest. places
0: let you do a paper round younger than mm. um, they've that's it's very complicated. Yeah, we could right. get into it. I mean, yep. maybe I'll yeah, like the lay of the land. I tried to kind of do a quick summary when I was researching for this and it's more complicated than you'd think, Um, but broadly like a lot of places, a lot of jurisdictions, states and territories in Australia don't have a a clear minimum working age, an age from which you can be employed. There are a lot of exemptions even where there is a minimum working age like in Queensland and Victoria where it's both 13, for example, Mm. but there are all these exemptions for um, like family businesses, for delivering papers. So Right. You can deliver papers in Queensland from age eleven and similarly in WA you can deliver papers from age ten. So you can they everyone like strongly it's believes in the sanctity of the childhood why? paper why? round for some reason. Yes. Why I don't know why if, though? Yeah. It's still labor.
1: You're still doing I know. something. It's an interesting for, for thing. For hey, else everyone's like <gasps>
0: You can't stop kids delivering papers. Come on. We love that little, you know, the image of the boy riding his bicycle, throwing the, the paper onto the lawn. We just can't, <laughs> can't let that go.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and there's, and then there's like the entertainment, entertainment industry. So there's all these exemptions for that. Yes. Right. For, you know, little babies in ads and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, where, and, and a lot of the, a lot of jurisdictions have staged, you know, um, the, they will say, that you can only work a certain number of hours sure. under 15 or under 13 and it's kind of staged by age. So, for example, like you can work three hours if you're under three, which is mostly for like I would hope <laughs> babies uh, in commercials <laughs> I don't know what the two-year-olds are, you know, in the minds. Um,
1: <laughs> Look cuter, damn it. Cuedo, yeah. you little bitch.
0: And this is why, like, I i mean, I was thinking about this because I was listening to the uh, Shameless podcast, Good, good pod, another good podcast, Listen to that one after this, but they were doing a special on Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen and, like, the whole thing about why they hired them as twins to work yes. on full house was because of child labour laws. Yes. So they could only work a certain number of hours at a time and then they'd sub one out and sub right. the other in. Um. <laughs> so there you go. Um, and, yeah, like, they you know, uh, South Australia has no minimum working age. New South Wales has no minimum working age. Wow. Um, Tasmania has no minimum age. There are other, like, there are minimums on specific industries like mining, for example, and, <laughs> um, and liquor, but it's, it's actually quite a Nanny complicated package. PC gone,
1: man. Yeah.
0: I know. It's ridiculous, isn't it? They, yeah. And, and the, the main, like, The way that it's actually structured most of the time is around compulsory school attendance laws. So rather than it being about when you can start work, it's like the principle is that work cannot interfere with your schooling Mm -hmm. and each state and territory has a a minimum age at which you can leave school and so some have like an exemption that you can leave at 15 if you get an exemption with you know work it out with the school you're leaving to start full-time work most places it's like 15 or 16 basically you have to finish year 10. Um, I think maybe Queensland and some others have you have to actually be 17 technically but it's 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 mostly like you have to finish school first and then you can work or you can work outside of school hours. Right. Up until then, and only a few states actually have a minimum age. But I learned this for the first time this week because I always thought you had to be fourteen to yes. get any job.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. You is thought that, that maybe, too? Is that just retail or something? Or yeah, I don't know. But um, because may, may be, yes. maybe that's what maybe that's what most kids' the first job is probably vaguely in the retail industry. Yeah. So yes, that could well be the situation.
0: That's right. Like some industries and. Some employers have set their own standards mm. for that, but that's not like a lot of that isn't actually in the law. That's just the industry saying we won't employ the kiddies. And I always like I have to go back and apologize to my 16-year-old sister because I remember like when she started looking for a job and she was insistent that a lot of her friends who were like 12 or even younger mm. were working in ice cream shops at, like in our hometown, and I was like, No, that's a well, if they are, that's illegal. I mean, I wouldn't put it past all these fuckers, yeah. <laughs> the business owners, but like, that's not legal. And she's like, Oh, no, I think it is. And turns out it was just like the little guys at the jam factory.
1: Do I want to be served by a 12 year old, even an ice cream shop? I know that's pretty. Have much you sure. ever been is- served
0: by someone and you're like, This is not right? I just, <laughs> I cannot. There was this little kid that served. Me at the at like at Domino's recently, and I swear he looked, looked seven. I was oh. like, this, "Oh my god, my little baby!" <laughs> I mean, when did you get your first job? Have you ever?
1: Um, I must have been, been pretty Odyssey? early on. I um, I was the. <laughs> It was a job that my brother had as well. It was working at the local sound and light show in the Maritime Recreation Village, Flagstaff Hill. I I think this is in your book, isn't it? This is in my book. Yes, I used to dress up as an 18th century captain. So, not a real job. Although I did set up my own dog walking business when I was about 11, too, and uh, got paid a dollar a walk. So, kept that off the tax books. The old uh, taxman got none of that.
0: Don't mind if I do. I was, um, you know, embarrassingly very into making money as a child. I don't know, maybe that's not embarrassing, but I used to like, we we had oranges and lemons and stuff and so I would pick oranges and, and sometimes even like at one stage I used to chop wood and I would put it out in a wheelbarrow at the bottom of the driveway and put prices on it and I would sell it and that's how I'd make my money from a yes. very young age. Or sometimes I would juice, I would make a glass of fresh orange juice and just put it on the counter with like a price and be like, anyone who wants it, come and get it. Like anyone being my mom and my sister that I lived with who wanted to pay the 20 cents for the, the orange juice. But, you know, anyway, that's <laughs> – I was I was 14 when I got my first actual job in a supermarket because right. I thought well, that's what you had to be. Yes. I, I mean, yeah, so, okay, we spoke about this on the phone briefly when we were talking about doing it for the show, and I was kind of like, I do have I, – obviously, I read this article about the long track pantry, and I'm like, fuck these guys. You know, they – it's – Of Like in this particular, in this economic system where you've got a business that is clearly doing extremely well, Mm. that you had to expand to this extent, that you've got 100 employees, you're clearly making fucking bank and exploiting the very low wages that you have to pay these Mm. literal children to make you money. So like, fuck you, I don't support you. I do then have this interesting ideological question though about whether there is a world or like circumstances where children can Work, But as soon as I say that, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing in the article is that these kids are like, it's very positive. The kids are loving it. They said, I'm really bored on the weekends. I love coming here. I'm getting some skills. I'm getting a little bit of money. It's good times. But surely the context there is well, it's a novelty for these kids. This yes, is in no they way they're not it. working to pay their rent. They're not working. You know, if they lose yeah. this job, it's not going to destroy their life. I mean, it is it is something of a hobby for which they get some money. So it's a pretty sweet deal for the kids. If the kids quit, I assume that's fine. And I assume that the bosses are still treating them like children in a way in terms of the way that they
0: you would hope th- so, approach. Yeah. You
1: would certainly hope so. Yes. So it is a very different version of being employed. The the wage suppression element seems to be, yes, the big issue and the broader principle that Mm. throughout history under capitalism, you know, the fight against the extraordinary exploitation of young people in factories and in the fucking mines uh, is a very good thing Mm. that we should not go backwards from at all. This idea that every little human being, as soon as they're capable, can be turned into an economic Mm. unit to help. Uh, Employees make shitloads of money. Uh, that was gross and, and you know, dehumanising and awful and yep. bad. And the fact that we fought against that and have the, some regulation yeah. minimums is, is very good.
0: That's right. And I think that that's the thing it's like, I mean, it, it is, I think, kind of an ideologically different argument whether we're talking about, like, can children work, at, abstract question, and the question of businesses using yes. children as labour right. in, in, like, It's actually, it's the act of them and the fact that they are making so much money of it under like a capitalist economic system that sucks, not necessarily that children work. But there is also the fact that, yeah, children are inherently far more vulnerable. Their brains aren't fully developed. Like they are more vulnerable to, you know, mistreatment in the workplace, whether it's by employers or by customers or whatever it is, they're just physically more vulnerable and there is something to the sanctity of childhood and leaving space, particularly for education. I think mm. that is important, um, but also just to like be a kid and go yes. and do lots of stuff. So it's like and it, yes, all of these rather, things together. There are some
1: other approaches to to address the boredom crisis uh, affecting these kids. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like yeah. Right. Like surely there's something like, else we can do salt. to help to kids jump. be less bored. That would be way more uh, fun and enjoyable and more, um, and less about making profit for other people.
0: Maybe. Yeah, but I do think it's a different question to yeah. Like I think being like, oh, this is uh, a problem because child labor is is a problem kind of, it, it, there is a bit of a disconnect, I think, between the historical mm. understanding of or even like the modern, you know, global politics kind of understanding of child labor and what we, are uh, the actual problem that, that we're talking about here because we're, we're talking about a history of, yeah, like children, I mean, children have always kind of or for a long time, done some sort of work usually in the family home but then during industrialization were like exploited to a, a far greater and more significant extent by particularly yeah factory owners um, who put and like mine owners who put children in incredibly precarious situations would either you know often take them from like take kids from orphanages or like not pay them at all or pay them this tiny fraction of a wage um or pay and them so food there was something right Yeah, and so there was a real need to regulate child labour but that's at the same time that just labour in general was being regulated. Like it was about regulating the hours that children could work so you're not just sending children out for 12 or more hour days. And in Australia, like there were kind of attempts to regulate child labour around the same time that compulsory education was being introduced, you know, in the late like 19th century. But then really when it takes effect that like, the social reason that children stop working is when co- compulsory education becomes more of a thing right. but it's also part of the you know like Fortis model of of production where you have one breadwinner mm. Chil- uh, children and women are meant to be taken out of of the factories because now it's just the man who earns mm. enough money to look after his right. family and the the mother cares for the child who goes to school and and all of that and so like yeah if you're working within that structure sure but like I think as as leftists we would kind of go outside of that and be like actually the problem is that yeah there's an economic system that incentivizes cost cutting and like profiteering to such an extent that employers will see the low wages that you need to pay a child in Australia and see hey that's a great way for me to make more money.
1: Yes. And, yes, we should draw the line. Everyone's getting exploited by the bosses, right, like adults well, yeah. as well. Uh, but the the child labor stuff is, like, just such a, a shining, glaring example of how far capitalism will go. A- anything and anyone can be pulled into the profit-making process and any basic ideas we have about, yeah, the sanctity of kids being able to be kids or whatever, all that's yeah. nonsense. All that can be thrown to the side if it means that we can make some sort some sweet margins. Yeah.
0: yeah, which is why I kind of, you know, initially I was like let's go into this uh, episode and talk about the push for a minimum working age and when I learned that there is no minimum working age, I was like, oh, that's quite fucked. But it, it becomes a similar question like when like I support raising the age of the minimum age of criminal responsibility but you need to kind of have it under like in a frame of, Abolition, if that's what you genuinely support, and be like, well, should there be any age that children should be in prison? Should there be any age that someone should be exploited? <laughs> you know, have to sell their labor. Um, like the but the, the, the context minimum of working this- age
1: should be thirty.
0: 30 yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd still have to work. Why do you want that? You're thirty, aren't you? How old are you? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm
1: over thirty. Okay,
0: yeah, yeah, thirty-five. Whatever it is, plus me, plus one, mm. but. This may be something. This is something that's being considered by the federal government. This is this was the story that I saw after all the uproar about this story about the long truck pantra, whoever they are. The Guardian ran a story about this committee report that the federal government is considering that recommended raising the minimum working age to 15 or 13 for light work across the country, with some exemptions for you know under 13 year olds. And this is largely part of again like. Like raising the minimum age of criminal responsibility, it's this kind of like international human rights frameworks. There's this international labour organisation convention around a minimum age um, for work that Australia hasn't properly ratified, as I understand it, because we don't technically have that minimum age. Mm. Um, it talks about minimum age of of twelve for like non light for like work between twelve and fourteen year old um, years old. If it's heavy work, they talk about light work versus heavy work, um, then it violates that convention. Uh, But Australia has said, oh, we don't need to ratify that. We're not going to introduce those laws because we have these compulsory education laws, we have limits on working hours and other restrictions, and we have a culture that, like, works to prohibit child exploitation, which is probably true in the frame that these guys are talking about. Like, if we were sending children down the mines, like, It would not happen, I think. I mean, maybe unless they were Aboriginal kids, um, (laughs) that you know had been come in justice, like come into contact with youth justice system. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised then if that was accepted. But kind of at a top level, it's true that yes, we do not have a culture of putting kids putting kids to hard work. I Mm. suppose, yeah.
1: Anymore. They definitely used to do that in coal mines. Oh, oh, yeah. The labour movement. That that is absolutely yes.
0: No, that's that's very true. Um, kids were certainly like used a lot for their labor in the early days of the colony and that's pretty fucked up and thank you unions for stopping that but i I guess that's why like i couldn't have you seen the greens say anything about a minimum working age Nope. yeah i i couldn't see them say anything i couldn't in our policy like we have you know our federal children policy for the greens is about it's kind of this vague statement of like promoting and recognizing young people at work their right to, you know, unionize and be free from discrimination and adequate pay and stuff. But the the state and territory Greens policies, more of them are likely to focus on junior pay rates. And like New South Wales and, and Greens for example um and Queensland, for example, I didn't kind of look at all of the states and territories, but either want to abolish junior pay rates or they say they want equal pay for equal work, which I think that is probably the key demand that a progress you know a, yes. a socialist pol- political movement in, in Australia should be pushing for mm. because junior pay rates are fucked. Like Crazy. why? It's, uh, I mean, do you remember how much you were getting paid? I mean, I guess, yes, obviously wages were different, but do you remember how much you were getting paid when you?
1: Oh, look, it was a council job that uh, the satellite show thing and I was always quite it was something it was quite decent like 21 bucks an hour or something at at wow. time okay. like it was yes I, I can't complain at all but my friends who were working at mcdonald's and kfc uh, were no near that yeah sort of 11 10 or 11 bucks or something like that um because and this is this is what 15 years ago
0: yeah like so when i got my first job in the local supermarket and i was 14 obviously i just wanted a little bit of extra money and i think i got, i got paid like 7 or 8 dollars an hour or something i think when yep. i started but i was like you know, it didn't really bother me that much because I was living at home, but I moved out just before I turned 16. And so by the time that I finished high school, like I needed to pay rent, mm. but my job working in a law firm, I think when I first started there, I was getting paid $12 something an hour wow. and trying to pay rent in Byron and like live. And I just accepted that, but yeah, it, it, it doesn't make sense, particularly the junior pay rates, it's not just for under eighteens either. They apply for workers under the age of twenty one. Twenty one. When absolutely like most people maybe the assumption there is that up until twenty one you're in uni, I guess, is mm. maybe the justification for that. But that's not the fucking reality for everyone. And also, even if you are in uni, a lot of people are still working. I worked. Like I it's I need to pay rent. It's crazy. And, like, you- you're 20 years I-
1: old, you can vote, you can join the army. Yes. You could, you know, do anything sexually, <laughs> consent, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, but if you're 20 years old, you're getting paid yeah. at a shittier rate. And as we know, fast food chains like McDonald's keep people on until they're 21. And then, then they say, oh, you're not rostered on for any more shifts. Sorry. See you later. Because you cost us too much too much money now as a multinational conglomerate where she loads of money.
0: Yeah, so junior pay rates, they're fucked, Abolish them. I, I don't know like what the scale is or kind of how it works exactly for all of the junior pay rates, but the Guardian was saying that for kids under 16, they're paid 36.8% of the national minimum wage. So like right. you can absolutely see how this long track pantry that was like, hmm, need some <laughs> people to make the jams, which people are probably, I bet they they sell those jam jars for a pretty penny too, like yes. to, you know, tourists coming through. Uh, and they're like thirty six point eight percent of the minimum wage. You said yeah. absolutely.
1: We can play. We can employ forty adults or a hundred children. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it makes some yeah. sweet sweet cash. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I'm no mathematician, but
1: mm. uh,
0: yeah. So I think those guys suck. We should abolish junior pay rates. Um, but yeah, that's my conclusion. Thoughts?
1: If you have a job that involves you need like a little hand or a little arm or something, <laughs> like some really heavy machinery and like you need someone to mm. really get in there in order to yeah. fix things, then obviously get a kid. Like what else are you going to do? Like they got Well, that's true. Stuff.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's and fine. that's why you have children.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the organs. <laughs> One boy, boy for sale, he's going cheap. Only seven guineas, that all thereabouts. Oh, what a fantastic episode we've had, Everald. Well done us. Oh,
0: self-congratulatory.
1: Yeah, we don't do it enough. Yeah. Um, the call to action is about that.
0: That sweet, sweet, sweet dope and doobies. dope weed. Ah, oh, this episode, this week will be 4.20, so it's appropriate.
1: Thursday, 4.20. Senator davis Shoebridge has released a draft bill to legalise cannabis across the country. Um, It sort of laid out exactly what it would look like. there would be a national regulator that would let you grow plants at home or buy through cannabis cafes and dispensaries. And we're asking for feedback. Well, the party's asking for feedback. There's a survey there to share your experiences about uh, cannabis and what you think the policy should be involved with. If you want to fill out that survey, that could be really helpful to help build that Mm. case. The drug war sucks. (laughs) We're way behind. Yeah. Weed is fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, with all the caveats of health issues that, of course, affect all drugs, um, fill out that consultation survey. The link is in the show notes no matter where you are in the country. And importantly,
0: I would say share it around so that people right. who don't know that this is a thing can see that it's, it's possible and can take the survey as well. And the survey, I did the survey, it's actually kind of fun, like it's this cute little, so it has all these, I don't know, little icons, you kind of feel like you're playing a game, you move through oh. levels and like you advance through a level and then it tells you another fact. Yeah, it's maybe I'm over- overselling it. It is a survey about a proposed piece of legislation to federal parliament um, to reform our laws. But about it's about a as drug fun that you as use. that could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about a drug that I never. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the questions are like so. Like they assume that you have smoked weed. They absolutely do. They're like, right. so what do you prefer? And I'm like, mm, I prefer mm. common sense, evidence based <laughs> legislation.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, you are a nerd. We don't need your feedback.
0: If you're a nerd and you like us, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now, leave us a five-star review and a cute little note for us. It really helps get the the word out about the show um, and put us in more people's ears. And please, yeah, if you can come to the show in Brisbane on the 21st of May, buy tickets, links are in the show notes. We really, really want to see you there. In the meantime, you can also um, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at SeriousDangerAU and also on Patreon if you're not already a subscriber. It's just 3 bucks a month and it helps pay our producer Mike so we can keep doing the show and we'll love you forever if you do it. Go to SeriousDangerPod.com for all the deets. D-E-E-T-Z. Hi, mates. (laughs) Happy 4.20. (laughs) Happy
1: 4.20. (laughs) Righteous, y'all.
0: That's a major W. Just arrived in my office here in Canberra. Where's George? George? George, where are you? Oh, here he is, my George Foreman. Oh, fantastic. I'm looking forward to cooking dinner with you again tonight, George.